David Perry, thank you for speaking with me today on the very important topic of hate speech. The Department of Justice initiated a review of the Prohibition of Incitement to Hatred Act 1989 late last year. And as part of its review, it ran a public consultation seeking feedback from key stakeholders and the general public on how legislation in this area can be improved. The department's aim is to ensure that Ireland's legislation on hate speech is fit for purpose and that it, it is effective in meeting the real needs of communities and individuals who regrettably experience the impacts of hate speech in Ireland today. The Bar of Ireland made a submission to the department and David, as uh, someone with a, a specialisation in areas including criminal practice, constitutional law and human rights, you were one of its key authors. So, David, firstly, can you tell us um, what is provided for under the current legislation? Sure. Uh, and the current piece of legislation in force in Ireland dealing with hate speech is the Prohibition of Incitement to Hatred Act 1989. And uh, I mean, I think it's just very important to be clear um, that it is actually quite a limited piece of legislation overall. It's intended to deal with very, very specific aims as opposed to uh, hate crime generally and certainly only deals with certain types of hate speech. So, I mean, I suppose just in broad terms, what the Act deals with, first of all, essentially what the Act criminalises is any sort of threatening, abusive or insulting behaviour or conduct that is intended by a person to stir up hatred against a group of persons based on certain fundamental characteristics or is likely to have that outcome. And th there's a lot in there that needs to be unpacked, but I suppose certain key features are that uh, it only criminalises acts aimed at stirring up hatred against a group of persons rather than against an individual. And hatred in terms of the characteristics that it needs to be aimed against, so many certain characteristics are covered by the act at the moment. So we might unpack some of that as we go along, but, but that's essentially the piece of legislation that's in place at the moment. It's worth just saying that I, I, there's no other sort of general piece of legislation dealing with hate crime in Ireland. So this is pretty much all we have in terms of dealing with hate speech or hate crime generally. So, yeah, it would be great to unpack those, uh, I suppose, those weaknesses maybe or those limitations in the Act. Um, I, I think it is it fair to say that there are not many prosecutions made under the Act as it currently stands. Why do you think that is? Yeah, that's right. So we have some limited statistics in terms of the number of prosecutions. Uh, the court service report there being um, a total of 44 prosecutions between 2000 and 2017 under the Act, uh, which is, is a surprisingly low number, I suppose. I, I mean, in terms of why that might be, there, there are probably a couple of different reasons that are, are, are worth looking into. Um, there is uh, a, a piece of research that was done by Haynes and Schweppe not so long ago in terms of the operation of, of the Act in Ireland, which seems to indicate that one of the requirements under the Act has had sort of a chilling effect in terms of guards bringing forth prosecutions. Essentially, the Director of Public Prosecutions needs to authorise the commencement of, or, or, or the prosecution of charges under the Act. And uh, that research indicates that's certainly something that uh, causes Gardaí to be um, certainly more reluctant in terms of bringing prosecutions under the Act. The other reasons, though, that the Gardaí might be reluctant, um, I, I suppose in any sort of situation where someone is going to initiate a prosecution, try bring that home. Um, 
they're, they're going to try and bring the charges that have the greatest prospect of success. And they'll only go for charges that are more complex or difficult to prove if there's some particular incentive or good reason to do so. And with the 1989 Act, you have this situation where the proofs for the offence, uh, the offences under the Act are actually quite complex. They're difficult to prove. And as an alternative, it's usually open to the guardie to charge some other sort of offence that would essentially capture the same conduct, which would be less complex to prove. And the classic example there is guardie can often charge someone with an offence under Section 6 of the Criminal Justice Public Order Act 1994, and that will probably um, capture a lot of the same conduct that falls under the 1989 Act, but will be a lot less complex for the guardie to prove. Um, in terms of other incentives that might be there for the guardie to bring a prosecution in the 1989 Act, well, actually, the maximum penalties under the 1989 Act aren't all that much greater than some other pieces of legislation that might capture equivalent conduct, like the Criminal, uh, like the Public Order Act. So, in all, there's a lot of difficulties there in bringing prosecutions. They're hard to bring home. There's little incentive to bring it under that Act, and that might well be a reason why there have been so few prosecutions brought uh, under the 1989 Act. And could you say that some of the uh, difficulties of bringing prosecutions and, and being able to prove uh, an offence under the Act is very much tied in with the, the use of, of, of the, I suppose, the language and the terminology within the Act itself? Um, I mean, some of the terminology used it includes to, to stir up hatred um, and the use of threatening, abusive or insulting behaviour. Those terms aren't defined by the Act. And is that uh, level of subjectivity something that's very difficult to um, I suppose to prove. Absolutely, uh, and that that is a big issue. Uh, I suppose, um, in terms of the fundamentals, what needs to be proven for an offence under the 1989 Act, it needs to be shown that a person uh, acted in such a way that was going to stir up hatred, and they intended to stir up hatred, or that was likely to be the results of their actions. And there's a number of difficulties there in terms of trying to prove that. Um, the first, like you said, is, is, is almost a definitional sort of level. What, what does it mean to stir up hatred? Uh, that term stir up isn't defined in the legislation. There is no equivalent to it in any other piece of criminal legislation in Ireland. It hasn't been explored in any case uh, that has been decided in this jurisdiction. So there is that sort of conceptual difficulty in terms of what does it mean to actually stir up hatred? Uh, and the idea of hatred itself, I mean, there's some definition, some guidance in terms of what hatred means in the Act, in that it must be hatred against a group of persons based on certain core characteristics like uh, race, for example. But the idea of hatred itself isn't defined. And you can put yourself almost in a judge's shoes looking at someone's actions and asking, well, were they trying to stir up hatred? Hatred such an extreme emotion, such a subjective concept as well, that that will very much vary depending on who's looking at the case. And there, there's room to say that, well, the person acted with uh, malicious motives, certainly, but they weren't trying to stir up hatred. A different judge might have a different view on things. There's all this woolliness to the concepts and difficulty in terms of uh, the concepts there that certainly adds to the difficulties in terms of uh, proving an offence under the 1989 Act. 
And are there some sources that we could look to abroad or in other jurisdictions? Um, I think the Council of Europe might have some guidelines around hate speech and we've been doing a lot of work in that area. Is that something that we could draw upon? Yeah, there certainly are uh, international sources of guidance and there, there is an EU framework decision in terms of setting out the obligations of member states in relation to criminalization of forms of hate speech. Uh, there are other sources of international guidance as well, going right back to the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, which, which again, like that, sets out international obligations in terms of criminalizing hate speech. And But they're really, for the most part, concerned with setting out, well, what should the law prohibit or criminalize? And we've chosen to implement those that guidance in a certain way in the form that's taken in the 1989 Act, and the way that we've incorporated or implemented still leaves those difficulties because we've chosen to incorporate these core concepts like stir up and that sort of thing that um, don't make a huge amount of sense on their own. What is open to us to do, though, is uh, our jurisdiction could certainly amend the 1989 Act to clarify some of those terms that are contained within it. And in terms of the clarification that we might insert for other terms that we might include instead, we might certainly draw on the guidance of some of those uh, of the EU framework decision and that international guidance to perhaps substitute more appropriate or clearer terms. Can I ask about um, the, the defining line between hate speech um, and other forms of expression um, which simply offend or shock? It's quite an unclear or it's quite a, a grey line. And how do you manage that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and it is a very, um, there's a difficult balance to be struck there. And it's worth, worth saying as a general point in terms of any legislation like this, a balance needs to be struck. We have an obligation on the Constitution to uphold the right to freedom of expression. Um, that obligation, I suppose, comes about in a secondary way as well, through things like the European Convention on Human Rights as well as Ireland's international human rights obligations generally. And any piece of legislation that's brought into force that in some way restricts or, or, or penalises someone for engaging in particular types of expression, that legislation needs to strike a balance and an accommodation with that rights protection that needs to be given to expression generally. Um, and that's the real difficulty or source of conflict with these legislation like this. You need to balance it in such a way that it targets certain very odious types of expression without going too far and trampling free expression generally. And that's a real difficulty. That is probably the reason that you need to make it clear that the type of expression that is uh, penalized is something as extreme as that that um, encourages hatred or, or even violence towards another. Uh, and that's the reason that you couldn't say broad, draw things more broadly by simply criminalizing anything that might make someone think worse of someone else or anything like that. So that's a, there, there's a real balance to be struck there. And, and that's the difficulty with it, with framing the, this piece of legislation. You want to get something that targets the extreme, really objectionable forms of expression without going so far as to target other forms of expression, which, although they might be distasteful to you or I, a person has constitutional right to engage in. So maybe then could we look at the, the range of defences that are, are currently provided under the Act um, and 
whether there is scope or, or even desirability to expand on those defences? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the defences that are included at the moment in the 1989 Act are somewhat curious. Um, I, I mean, I suppose broadly speaking, the Act only really provides a defence where um, a person did not intend to stir up hatred, so their conduct was likely to stir up hatred, but they didn't intend to do it, and they didn't realise that the conduct that they're engaging in was threatening, abusive or insulting. And uh, I suppose that's the extent of it. That is somewhat limited in its terms. And there's a lot of academic commentary surrounding the 1989 Act and other defences that might be included. And other defences that have been suggested include allowing for a general defence where someone acts um, or engages in expression that involves fair comment in the public interest, um, there's been suggestions that maybe you need to carve out an exception for sort of artistic expression. Um, some have suggested that there needs to be some sort of defence that makes an accommodation for the interaction between sort of religious commentary in this act. So something that would allow for, make some allowance for what might seem like blasphemous comment or religiously offensive comment in some way. And I suppose, I, I mean, those are all in interesting issues that I think are worth looking at. It's probably worth saying that in the submission that I was involved in compiling, we didn't look at them in a huge amount of detail. And that's largely because the Department of Justice simply don't appear to be looking at those defences at the moment. And the scope of the review that's been done at the moment simply didn't go on to look at expanding or potentially expanding the range of defences that are there. But I think that it is a, a, an issue that is worth considering into the future and something perhaps which the Department of Justice might invite uh, submissions or further submissions on into the future. Can we discuss the mens rea requirement in the context of this act, um, which is the intention or knowledge of wrongdoing on the part of an offender engaging in hate speech, um, I suppose, which is, is very important in the prosecution of any criminal offence? How does that mens rea requirement, how is that satisfied um, under the current legislation? Yeah, and, and this is a really very important issue. Um, the Department of Justice, in terms of the review that it was, it was conducting, um, essentially asked the following question, which was, at the moment, uh, for conviction of the act, you need to have either intended to stir up hatred or that needs to be the likely consequence of your action. And the department asked, well, should that be changed in some way to introduce a, a, a different concept? For example, should it be required that a person be, or should it be enough that a person is reckless in terms of the consequence of their action? Is it enough that they're reckless that maybe hatred would have been stirred up by what they were saying? And the view that we took in our submission, I, I suppose cut against the grain of what the department was perhaps suggesting or the path that they're perhaps thinking of going down by introducing something like recklessness. And what we've said is that actually things need to be tightened up to a greater extent, that for a conviction under this act, it should be required that a person be proved to have intended to stir up hatred. And actually, um, there should be no conviction if a person um, didn't intend to stir up hatred and it was simply likely that that was going to result. And, and certainly it, it is not enough that the person might have been reckless in terms of their conduct. 
that's what uh, we suggested in the submission. I suppose a couple of reasons why we said that. And the, the first is that there is, it's absolutely crucial for any piece of criminal legislation that there be this mens rea requirement that a person be shown to have acted with a, a guilty mind, if you want to frame it like that. And if a piece of criminal legislation doesn't have that requirement, it, it's a settled constitutional challenge, which is in no one's interests. Uh, so that's a difficulty. Um, that is why we suggested removing the reference to likelihood, because under the Act as it stands at the moment, a person could conceivably be convicted despite having no appreciation of the consequences of their actions, simply because um, potentially their actions might have given rise to some sort of consequence. Um, it, it was almost a standard like neg negligence in some ways. So that's why we suggest removing that respect men's rare requirement. Now, it, in terms of the department's suggestion of recklessness, I mean, that wasn't seen as attractive because as, as a matter of principle, it just looking at the case law in relation to offences like this, like incitement generally, um, it doesn't seem appropriate that you have a standard of recklessness for something like this. There needs to be some form of intention there. Now, as against all that, so we're recommending a standard of intention as opposed to anything else. But as against that, I, I mean, there are obviously going to be difficulties sometimes in terms of proving what someone intended and what they didn't intend. And the accommodation that has been suggested in this mission to, I suppose, facilitate prosecutions while still respecting that requirement for mens rea is to have a presumption of certainty act that a person is presumed to intend the natural and probable consequences of their act. And that's not unusual or exceptional. If you, if you look at other pieces of legislation, you'll see specific statutory provisions for a presumption like that. And that presumption needs to be rebuttable. So um, someone can say, well, I, I, I know that I'm presumed to have intended the natural and probable, probable consequences of my act, but I didn't actually hear it just completely slipped my mind or I didn't refer to it. So that's open to someone to do, but that presumption against them is there, which facilitates the prosecution. But they're overall the suggestions that we made in terms of how um, the men's rare requirement of the Act might be adapted. So, of course, there have been significant societal changes since the Act was first introduced back in 1989. I think probably what's going to form a big part of the department's review is the increase in online hate speech um online behavior has become a lot more prominent since the 1980s so um what do you feel are the key changes that ought to be reflected in any revised legislation in, in terms of online hate speech and yeah it's, it's a very very good point and i mean to make um or trite point i suppose um it's a piece of legislation that's formulated in 1989 when uh, obviously not a huge amount of online communication or certainly not to the level that is currently ongoing was really um, a, a, a part of the picture. Things have moved on. So much communication happens online and through various forms of um, social media uh, applications or websites. And, and some changes might be needed to facilitate prosecutions under the 1989 Act for that sort of behaviour. And there are a few difficulties under the Act at the moment for prosecuting online behaviour. Uh, I suppose to just very briefly summarise what they are. The Act prohibits um, publication or distribution of written material and certain types of recordings. 
And each of those terms, so written material, publication, distribution, they all have particular definitions in the Act. And those definitions might, uh, they, they, they might hold up online prosecutions or prosecutions for online material. And what is needed, uh, I think, is that the definition of written material in the Act be expanded and clarified to make it clear that it includes um, all of the sort of common online communications that you might have. So the sort of uh, pictures and images that might be sent during the course of online communications, uh, like memes, like anything like that. Uh, that's a very simple amendment to be made. Um, the terms publication and distribution also need to be amended. At the moment, what they say is that and um, that means publication and distribution to a section of the public. And it's clearly going to be open to someone to argue, well, let's say I send a private message in my WhatsApp group that I'm part of to a group of friends. Uh, that might be the most hateful thing in the world, but if I was prosecuted in the 1989 Act, I, I could conceivably say that, well, they're not a section of the public, it's a private group. And one way to deal with that would be to uh, amend the definition of the terms publication or distribution to make it clear that it means publication or distribution to any person. And that should also be further clarified to make it clear that it would be a person within the state or outside of the state, because there's a lack of clarity there as well. So those are some very dry technical amendments that might be needed to those definitions. But certainly my suggestion would be that if those amendments were made, there would be no issue in terms of using the 1989 Act to prosecute uh, online behaviour that might otherwise fall within the scope of the Act. And I suppose other changes that have taken place since 1989, um, I mean, the, the fabric of society has changed to some extent in that the current Act, I think, only um, protects a certain number of groups. I, I would imagine that could probably be expanded in, in today's society. Well, absolutely. And in terms, first of all, of, of what the Act does at the moment, so it, it, it's something uh, that I touched on earlier. The Act prohibits uh, any efforts to stir up hatred against particular groups of persons based on certain fundamental characteristics. And those characteristics are set down in the Act. There are seven characteristics or seven grounds that are set down um, upon which um, incitement to hatred is prohibited. Those grounds at the moment are uh, race, colour, nationality, uh, religion, ethnic or national origin, membership of the traveling community or sexual orientation. And certainly there's a very good argument to be made that uh, that is insufficient coverage for society as it stands at the moment. And the recommendation that we've made is that those grounds be expanded so as to prevent any efforts appropriate or of incitement to hatred on grounds of four additional grounds. Those are gender, gender identity expression, age, and disability. Now, I mean, why are those um, important to cover? Why, why are those needed? Well, um, certainly my suggestion would be that hate crime directed against those grounds is part of the fabric of our society at the moment. And that is reflected in a couple of different things. Perhaps the most telling thing is that 
um, in terms of how the, the guards operate, there are classifications of crimes that are included on the full system. There's a classification for hate-based crimes, and that classification includes hate-based crimes on, on grounds like those. So clearly, the guards are dealing with hate-based crimes on grounds of things like gender, age, disability, and gender identity. So there should be an act covering that sort of stuff. And it's also worth saying that in terms of the state's other equality legislation that's in place, like the Equal Status Act, the Employment Equality Act, those are grants that are covered too. And there are grants that are added over time in recent years. But certainly there's a recognition, a recognition by the state in that context that protection is needed to certain fundamental groups uh, or based on certain fundamental characteristics. Well, well, surely that needs to translate across to the 1989 Act as well and uh, incitement to hatred against groups based on those grounds should be prohibited. Thank you, David. We really look forward to seeing um, more from the department on this review um, and we hope to see some uh, reports maybe emerging in the next couple of months. Um, who knows, I suppose the government is still in formation. I'm not too sure what their priorities are going to be, but hopefully the department will continue this very important piece of work. Um, thank you very much for your contribution and um, we can link to the full submission for anyone who wants to get into the, the nitty gritty detail um, of, our, of the Bar of Ireland's position on the review. So thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you very much. <laughs>